that word Godhead would not be used if there weren't more than one in it. It would have been in him dwelleth all the fullness of God. I call your attention now to Matthew 28, 18, and 19 that will explain that. Jesus Christ appeared unto his disciples, and he said, All power hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All power hath been given unto me. You can't transact a gift unless they're two persons. God, Jesus said, Somebody's given me power. Who gave it to him, Mr. McGee? Tell us who gave it to him. All power hath been given unto me. And so in him dwelleth all the power, all the fullness, all the brightness of the Godhead bodily. But that doesn't mean that God didn't have power too. Because you might say to a policeman here in town, if he came, you sent him to arrest the man. Maybe the chief of police would tell him to go arrest the man. And he'd say, well, what power do I have? The chief of police would say, you have all the power of the city of Martinsville. Would that mean the chief didn't have any? Why, of course not. Can't you see that? What did you say about my name? I was just one of the potty boys. There are three others. Am I just a fourth potty? You looked over that, didn't you? You didn't see that. You want to say something about that? <laughs> no, he didn't see that. All right, now you begin to see how easy it is to answer his argument. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Jesus Christ came to earth, and he died. God sent him. John 3, 16 said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have, but have everlasting life. God gave what? God gave his Son. Is his Son God? No. Not in the sense the Father is, he's God of course, but he's not the Father. God gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when Jesus died and went to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. But he appeared unto Mary, and he said, Mary, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. But go tell my brethren, that I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. Does that sound like one? Of course it doesn't. It's two. There couldn't be two. Uh, more than two. Uh, in that verse. So you see, he's got two. I go to my Father, and I'll to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. Now you want to know where the next one is? That makes the three. In the third cha first chapter, uh, first John the fifth chapter and the seventh verse, there are three that bear record in heaven. And he talks about Trinity as if he didn't know what the word Trinity means. The word Trinity means three. There are three that bear record in heaven. Who are they? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And Jesus said to the Father, that the glory that thou gavest me, I've given them that they may be one even as we're one. Why, that's just as easy as anything in the world. You can see that. Thank you. That it is easy to show that there, you just, they can't talk without having more than one. He said, oh, Paul says that there is no deity. He got right up and said that the other time. That Paul says there is no deity. Now, you know that isn't so, Mr. Now, there isn't any need to stand up here in front of all this great crowd of people and tell something you know isn't so. 
All right, you want to talk again? Get up. Hold my time. I did not. Turn the lights on, please. I did not make the statement that Tommy said there is no deity. I made the statement that Mr. Tommy has no supreme deity. He has three co-equal persons. He's denying in this proposition that one of them is almighty. The other two being co-equal, therefore, cannot be almighty. I said he had no supreme deity. Uh, I accept his explanation, but I've got it recorded, and I'll play it to show you tomorrow night. He said, Toddy says there is no deity. He said uh, he signed his name to it. And I sat right over there and heard it two or three times. And then finally he came up and said, there can't be any deity unless there is a supreme deity. I know what you said. I was listening to you. You said, Toddy says there is no deity. You said it in both speeches you made. You know it isn't so. I don't blame you. I try to fix it up too. There is no deity, he said, I said. We don't say any such thing. But let me tell you, he never straightened it up how there can be a supreme deity without being an inferior deity, did he? You want to get up and talk about that now? Let's hear something about that. You missed it both your seats. How can there be a supreme deity unless there is an inferior deity? You don't want to say anything, do you? I don't blame you. I wouldn't be. Now, you see, he says that, there, that Jesus Christ is the supreme deity. Well, that suggests there is an inferior deity. Who is it? You better tell these people. They'll be disappointing you. There is an inferior deity. When you say that Christ is the supreme deity, then we want to know, well, who is the inferior deity? Mr. Erskine, can you tell me? Mr. Proctor, Potter, can you tell me? None of you can tell me. Well, I hope he gets with somebody tonight who will tell him before tomorrow. And tomorrow night we'll see if he can tell us who is the supreme deity. Jesus Christ is equal to the Father. In Philippians, the second chapter, in the fifth and sixth verses, it says there, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, you can't be equal with yourself. There's got to be another. And that said that Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And one day when he was talking to the Pharisees, and he spoke of his Father in heaven, they took up stone to stone him because he said that his Father in heaven made him equal with God. You ever read that? All right, now we begin to see. In the Old Testament, back in Genesis, the first chapter, and the 26th verse, when God said, Let us make man. Let us make him in our own image. Now, there's no need to put an if to that. It's back there. Let us make man. That word, us there, or God, is in the plural. It's in the Hebrew, Elohim, which is plural. And the God said, let us make man. Now, to whom was he talking? You better get to writing because you've got a lot to straighten up here tomorrow night. <laughs> but I am the Father that sent me. He said, I dare you to say they're men. It doesn't make any difference whether they're men, persons, or whatever they are. There are two of them. Don't you see that? I'm not talking about whether they're men. I'm not talking about whether they're angels. I'm not talking about what they are. I'm talking about how many are. Look up here. 
I say there's two. Jesus Christ said there's two. And he tried to cover it up with them. Well, I dare you to say they're men. Well, I never said anything about whether they're men or what they are. I just said they're two. He says there was. John says it's not so, they're two. And yet if I judge, I judge the truth, for I'm not alone. And I made the argument that the only difference is what God said in the Garden of Eden, the devil was enough. And the only difference is what Jesus Christ said to my opponent is enough. He says they're not two. Jesus Christ says there are two. I am not alone. But I am the Father sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two. P-W-O-2. P-W-O-2. Two. Two. Now you know how many two are? One and one equal two. Jesus Christ and the Father equal two. You wish I'd stop two? I know you do. Yes, you wish it. You wish I'd stop on one, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going right where the Bible says. The Bible says there are two. The Bible says that the testimony of two men is true. And if Jesus Christ wasn't telling the truth about it, he deceived the people to whom he was talking. He laid down a premise and made an argument upon it. He said that two. I am one. Jesus Christ, Mr. McGee, said, I am one. And the Father who sent me bears witness to me. I am the Father. Every time you see the coordinate conjunction and, it means plus. I plus the Father equal two. Don't you see that? Now I want to go again to the mediator. In the fifth chapter of 1 Timothy and the uh, second chapter in the fifth verse, we have it where it says, there, are, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God, and he sits upon the witness stand. There is one mediator where he stands down in front of the God. There is a man over there. That's committed sin. I read to you 1 John, the second chapter, the first verse, where it says, And these things write I unto you, little children, that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All right. Jesus Christ the righteous stands between there and pleads the case of the sinner to God. Let's have the lights, please. He stands pleading the case of God. And then again, we find that Jesus is the interceder, that he makes intercessions for us. He stands between us. He was man. And I want to read to you now in the fifth chapter of, of Ephesians, the fourth chapter first, the one that he used, when he said that there is one spirit. Oh, I want to read all that. He just garbled that quotation. There the Apostle Paul said, and there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Don't you see the Spirit, the Son, and the God, the Father? Didn't you see that in there when you read it? Is that the reason you didn't read it all? You didn't see it, did you? Well, it's there just the same. Now, he was going to make you think that the spirit there was everything. But no, Paul didn't stop there. There is one body and one spirit. You called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, 
one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Don't you see? That's right. Thank you. Yes, we have it that way now. So we're passed from there, showing that there are three even in that. Now the next passage of Scripture I call your attention to is Ephesians 5 and 5. And there's where the Apostle Paul says that no fornicator or unclean person or idolater who isn't or covetous man hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What does the pronoun, uh, uh, conjunction and mean, Mr. McGee? It says that he has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, showing that there are two in that the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God are occupied by the two persons. I don't know why he's read the Bible as much as he claims he has and doesn't see that. That the Bible talks about the kingdom of Christ and of God. I want to bring in another quotation in the Great Commission. When Jesus Christ is recorded by Mark, in Mark the 16th chapter and begin with the 17th verse, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out death. They shall speak with you tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And when he had spoken to them, he ascended into heaven and sat down. Where, Mr. McGee, where did he sit down? The Bible says that when he had spoken unto them, he ascended into heaven and sat down. Where did he sit, Mr. McGee? You know. That's one of your choice verses. You know where he sat, don't you? Where did he sit? And he ascended into heaven and he sat down. You and the people know where he sat? And when he had spoken, thank you, and when he had spoken to them, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now what are you going to say about it? Now say amen. He sat down at the right hand of God. Can Mr. McGee sit down in his own right hand? Get up and show us how you can do that. We Thank you. Your attention, please. Your attention, please. This completes the first night of debate, of the Wednesday night debate, the 16th of March, 1960. Honorable opponent, moderators, ladies and gentlemen, It is my inestimable privilege to once again have the opportunity of defending the supreme deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. question was raised last night, or the objection was made that if we talk about Jesus being the supreme deity, then we are handling our grammar in a rather sloppy way. We have been asked the question if Jesus is the supreme deity, who then are the inferior gods 
or deity or deities. Here is the answer coming up. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17. Tell me if my proposition tonight is not utterly in harmony with the scripture. Deuteronomy 10 17. For Jehovah your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God and a mighty and a terrible which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. Joshua 22 verse 2. Jehovah God of gods. Jehovah God of gods. He knoweth and Israel he shall know. So the great God of the Bible, Jehovah, is called the God of gods. Jeremiah 2 and 11 tells us what gods these happen to be. Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? When we say that Jesus is the supreme deity, we mean that Jesus is supreme over every heathen deity. When we say that Jesus is the supreme deity, we mean that Jesus is supreme over deities invented by the overwrought imaginations of Trinitarians. Why anybody should object to a supreme deity or object to us claiming that Jesus is the supreme deity, I do not know. Particularly if at the same time they profess to believe he is deity. I want to make the point again tonight that a relative deity is an absurdity. You cannot be God up to a certain point. You cannot be partly God. I repeat, if Jesus is not God over all, then he is not God at all. Romans 9 and 5 makes this a very claim for Christ. Romans 9 and 5 speaks saying Christ came who is over all, not over most or over all save two, but over all that is over all without exception. Christ came who is over all God. Bless it forever. Amen. Tonight we repeat so that it may sink down deep into your ears that to deny Christ's supreme deity is to deny his deity because a deity not supreme is no deity at all. Oh, as I warned you, they'll say some nice things about Jesus. But even as they praise him, they'll plunder him. They won't look at Jesus and give an unqualified assent to his deity. Because they don't believe in his supreme deity. They say, yes, he's God, but... 
there are two others who are co-equal with him. Now last night, there was some questioning of our understanding of the name of Jesus. I hold in my hand a well-known Bible dictionary, the work I understand of Trinitarians, the Lubbock Bible Dictionary. In page 314 of that Bible dictionary, I read the following. Jesus means Jehovah is bishop. The Greek form of the name Joshua. Also in Strong's Concordance, a copy of which is nearby, which my opponent can check. In the Greek dictionary, page 37, number 2424, I read this, quote, Jesus, that is Yehoshua, reference to the Hebrew dictionary of the same concordance, page 48, number 3091, Yehoshua, Jehovah saved. So that's our definition of the name of Jesus, that it means Jehovah Savior is confirmed by accepted Christian scholarship. We say tonight without fear of contradiction that the name Jesus means Jehovah Savior. And I would say this to my honorable opponent, and all who share his views tonight in, in this audience. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, make it clear that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Verse 9 I read, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you might ask me tonight, how does the whole of creation bowing the knee at the name of Jesus glorify the Father? Simply because, my friend, Jesus is the Father. Romans 14 and 11, for it is written, that is written in Isaiah 45, 23, as I live, saith Jehovah, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So when every knee bows at the name of Jesus and every tongue confesses the name of Jesus, either voluntarily or involuntarily, they will be bowing to and confessing the name of one who is Jehovah God, supreme deity. Jesus, we repeat, is the name of the Son. That is self-evident, generally accepted. Jesus, we maintain, and this is contested, is the name of the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 4 in indicates he received it by inheritance, that is, from his Father. 
John 17 verses 11 and 12 in the revised version, not this recent scandalous revised version, but if I can so call it the revised King James, which Mr. Toddy tells me he sometimes uses. John 17, 11 and 12 in the revised version, the son is addressing the father and innocent to it. The son says, thy name which thou, the Father, hast given me. Answer that, please, honorable opponent. John 5, 43, Jesus says plainly, I am come in my Father's name. John 17 and 6, I have manifested thy name unto the man which thou gavest me. So Jesus is the name of the Father. Jesus is the name of the Holy Ghost. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Acts 16, 7, in the Revised Version, the Spirit of Jesus. Philippians 1, 19, in the King James Version, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is not only the name of the Son, Jesus is also, according to these scriptures, the name of the Father, and Jesus is also, according to these scriptures, the name of the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, Jesus happens to be the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Last night we quoted Isaiah 9 and 6, obviously dark. Mr. Toddy could not deny that in this verse Christ is called the everlasting Father, or as the Hebrew puts it, the Father of eternity. But he tells us with most curious logic that still doesn't make him the Father. How many fathers are there in Toddy's trinity? Person number one, he says, is the Father. Last night he admitted that Jesus is also called the Father. Thus, he has two fathers in his trinity. Person one and person two. Now listen to this. In Luke chapter one and verse 35, I read this. And the angel answered and said, this is the angel talking to the Virgin Mary. The angel answered and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Or in plain language tonight, the Holy Ghost would be responsible for that miracle act of paternity in the virgin womb. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, said the angel to the virgin. Therefore, or because the Holy Ghost is going to be a husband to you, Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now we want Mr. Totty to tell us which divine person is the father of the Son. We want him to tell us if divine person number one, whom he calls the Father, is the Father of the Son, or deny, if he will, that the Holy Ghost is stated here to be the Father of the Son. 
which of these two, divine person number one or three, Mr. Totten, is the father of the son? Or do you believe he has two fathers? And that would be a curious situation indeed. Mr. Totty is on the horns of a dilemma. He knows, he maintains that divine person number one is the father. Last night he agreed that divine person number two is the father in a certain sense. And tonight by this scripture we make him face the issue that the Holy Ghost was the father of the son. If he's not careful, he'll have three fathers in his trinity. John 14 and verse 9 to prove that Jesus is the Father. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. John 10 and 30 in the revised version. I, says Jesus, and the Father are one. Mr. Toddy had another curious explanation to offer for this verse of Scripture. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Mr. Toddy says, well, one in what sense? Then quoting from the 17th chapter of John, where Jesus prayed for the disciples that we all may be one, he maintains that that's the sense in which the Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son are not one in the absolute and indivisible sense. Oh no, he says, the Father and the Son are only one in the sense that church members are one to help us. I'm glad that's not true. Mr. Toddy believes a man can be a member of the mystical body of Christ, fall from grace, and end up in a devil's hell. So the unity he had with the other church members was by no means unbreakable. That's the sort of unity he he says exists between the Father and the Son. He can believe that if he chooses to. After reading the Bible, I'm convinced that the unity from the mystical and indivisible unity. It's an absolute unity. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is also the Holy Ghost. Philippians 1.19, we read the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How much plainer do you want it? Here it is in cold print. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. Acts 16 and 3, the Spirit of Jesus. Revised version or a good margin. John 20, 22. 22. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now how you can make any difference of person between a man and his breath, I don't quite understand. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord. What Lord? There's only one Lord. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. There's only one Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I read in 2 Corinthians 3. The Lord is Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Now John 14 verse 16. John 14, 16, we're not scared of the Gospel of John. <laughs> Why, that's our stronghold, the Gospel of John. We're not... I will pray the Father, says Jesus, he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now who abides with us forever? 
Jesus said, the Comforter would abide with us forever. But what do we read in Matthew 28 and verse 20? Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That looks to me like Jesus is the Comforter. All right, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another Comforter, not another person, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, even, says Jesus, talking to the apostles, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But, says Jesus to the apostles, concerning the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. That is, Jesus in person. Jesus says, they don't know the spirit of Christ, speaking about the ungodly, but he says to his own, you know the spirit because he dwelleth with you. Jesus in person and shall be in you. Who is in the hearts of true believers? Jesus said, the Holy Ghost. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the Holy Ghost is Christ. Verse 18, Jesus says to the apostles concerning the Holy Ghost, I will not leave you comfortless. Or as the margin says, I will not leave you orphans. Or in homely language, I will not leave you without a father. I will not leave you comfortless without a father. I won't leave you orphans, says Jesus. Plainly, he was a father to the apostles. He said, I, when I go, will not leave you fatherless or orphans. He says, I will come to you. The gospel of John, an embarrassment to Jesus' name, people never it's our joy, our glory, and our delight. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul says, Colossians 2 and 9, In Him, that is Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. My honorable opponent says, Jesus is in the Godhead. The Apostle Paul says the Godhead is in Jesus. The very opposite to Mr. Tut. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, by flashing little pictures on the screen about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Mr. Totty is naive or simple enough to imagine that that constitutes overwhelming proof that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are three persons. Hear this tonight. We believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, and we believe in the Holy Ghost. But we deny that they are three persons. I asked Mr. Totty last night to find me the word persons. P-E-R-S-O-N-S. Persons in the plural. 
I ask him to find for me the word persons in the scripture relative to deity. He never did. Instead, he came up with Hebrews 1, and is it verse 3 or verse 4, where we read Jesus as the express image of his person. He found the word person in the singular. That's not what we have been asking for. We have been asking for the word persons in the plural. Now find it and produce it if you can. We don't believe it's possible. What then is the Father? The Father is deity. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6. To us there is one God, the Father. The Father is deity. Ephesians 4 and verse 6. One God and Father of all. If the Father is deity, what then is the Son? The Son is humanity. Listen to this. Luke 1, 35. An angel said this, I accept it that the angel is reliable. Luke 1, 35. To the Virgin Mary, he said, that holy thing, now mark it, watch it, the angel says to Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, or that holy thing born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. What is the Son of God according to an angel? And surely an elect angel knows the Son of God is that holy thing which was born of Mary, the humanity. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Notice that, M-A-D-E, made of a woman. Deity isn't made of a woman, but humanity is made of a woman. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, the son made of a woman. That's enough to prove that the Son is humanity. And of course the Holy Ghost is the Comforter. It's all in Jesus. For He is God. He is deity. He is humanity. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus could say in Revelation 1 and 8, I am the Almighty. Not once third of almightiness, but the sum total of almightiness. I am the almighty. That's why he could say in John 8 and 56, before Abraham was, I am. He gave himself the superb title of the burning bush. Exodus 3, verse 4. I am, says Jesus. I am the Almighty. John 1, 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Mr. Toddy drew attention to the capitals, but you don't need to let that bother you, the capital W in Word, because he very well knows that the capitals are quite arbitrary. All right then, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is Mr. Totty's God tonight? If he says the Father, then let's read the verse in the light of that. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father, and the Word was the Father. Does he like it that way? Oh, he says, no, my God is not the Father, my God is the whole Trinity. All right, but read it that way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Trinity, and the Word was the Trinity. Does he like it that way any better? No matter what you do with this verse, you're driven to the conclusion that the Word was God. Logos, the Word, the Greek word, or our English word, Word, occurs going on to 200 times in the New Testament. Here's an example, Matthew 8, 16. He cast out demons or spirits with his word. When Jesus was here, he cast out spirits with his word, with his logos. Now, could you make a difference between a man's word and a man's person? Can we distinguish the words of a man from the man who spoke them and thus make two persons? Can you take my word tonight and distinguish my word from me and make two persons of us here? That's the question which has to be answered. Of course not. The word was God. We want these questions answered this very night, Mr. Todd. Then Mr. Toddy talked about Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for the word translated God in our Bibles. He says it's a plural word. A plural word. Sure it's a plural word. Plural of what? The scholars tell you it's the plural of majesty. He says no, Elohim translated God in English is a plural word meaning more than two. It's not the singular, it's not the dual, it's the plural meaning three at least. Well, for his information, Baal, the god Baal, was called Elohim in Judges 6.31. Are there three Baals? Beelzebub, a name given to the devil, is called uh, Elohim in 2 Kings 1, 2, and 16. Does he believe that Satan is a trinity? One ghost which came up in the home of the witch of Endor, one ghost, the ghost of Samuel, is called Elohim. Is Samuel the ghost a trinity? Moses himself was called Elohim in Exodus 7 and verse 1, where there are three Moses, one golden calf, which Aaron made to be worshipped, is called Elohim in Exodus 32. Did the Israelites worship three calves? Of course not. Now, if I have enough time, I would like to read you what the Lubitz Bible Dictionary says about the word Elohim. Remember, this is a Trinity scholar. The plural form of Elohim has given rise to much discussion. The fanciful idea that it referred to the Trinity of persons in the Godhead hardly now finds a supporter among scholars. 
It is either what grammarians call the plural of majesty, or it denotes the fullness of divine strength, and the sum of the powers displayed by God. So Elohim does not help out. Why, the Son of God himself is called Elohim in the 45th Psalm. Does that mean to say there are three sons, Mr. Toddy? Get off Elohim as quick as you can and don't mention it again in your own interest for the duration of this debate. If it proves anything at all, it proves too much for your good. Jesus is the supreme deity in our estimation as we read the word of God. He is the Father as to his divinity. He is the Son as to his humanity and he is the comforter in emanation in the hearts of his dear elect people. I think quite a number of you agree with me. Amen. Mr. Moderators, ladies and gentlemen, he took a vote of confidence that quite a number of his uh, people agree with him, but I'll assure you that not near as many as agreed with the worship of Diana in Ephesus when Paul was there. They agreed with him too, but they were wrong. Now he spent about five minutes here trying to tell you people that Elohim was singular, and then picked up Pelubit's book where Pelubit said the plural Elohim can hardly be said by some to refer to the Godhead. But he said it was plural. And then if he didn't turn right around after reading Pelubit, where Pelubit said it was plural, and tried to prove again that it wasn't plural. Now, what do you know about that? Why, you, you would hardly take Pelubit anyway. I'm going to show you a little bit further now about that. Last night, there was quite a bit of hand clapping and carrying on when I was speaking. And I want to tell the people tonight, you who do not belong to either church, that was not our people. Those people who did that do not belong to the Church of Christ. We don't do that. We don't have to do that. We don't need that help. And so tonight I'm asking all of you who are here, who are not members of the church of either one of these churches, don't lay that charge to us. We know how to behave when we go to church. We're going to do that and we do not need, we do not need any of that hand clapping like they did when Elijah was arguing with the prophets of Baal, and like Paul was when he was teaching them in Ephesus. The truth of God does not need that. Let me repeat that. And the Church of Christ members don't do that, don't indulge in things like that. Now, before we get any further, he denied last night, you keep my time when they start laughing because I'm going to talk 30 minutes if it takes me two hours, so you can just laugh all you want to. But I get my 30 minutes just the same. We have a stopwatch there, and we're going to see to that. Last night, uh, my worthy opponent made charge after charge that we did not believe in the deity. He said the so-called Church of Christ does not believe in the deity. I called his attention to that, and he denied that he said it. He did say it. I played the tape today, and he said it numbers of times. He said it in his first speech, he also said it in his second speech. 
He said, if they believe in the deity, then why are we here? Don't you remember that, Mr. McGee? We'd be calling you Fibber McGee if you don't hold to the truth a little better than that. Yes, he said that last night. And he said it numbers of times. He knew it wasn't so when he said it, but he said it just the same. Now, we do believe in the deity of Christ. Of course we do. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here tonight. I have some questions I want to ask him. And I want you to answer them tonight, too, as you gave me that uh, admonition. To whom was Christ praying when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To whom was he praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the spirit of which Jesus spoke in Luke 23, 46? And who was the father to whom Jesus commended his spirit? Who raised Christ from the dead? I'm going to give you a copy of these. What did Peter mean in Acts 2.23 when he said Jesus was by the right hand of God exalted? And uh, what did Peter, uh, what did Stephen mean when he said that he saw the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God? Who was the Son and who was the God? What did Mark mean in Mark 16.19 when he said Jesus sat on the right hand of God? Will you please answer these tonight? Oh, uh, we'd love to have you do it. <laughs> we surely will. All right, now, he's talked much about the supreme deity tonight. And you talk about a person being hanged upon the, the horns of a dilemma. He certainly has. I've driven him further than I ever did any of his kind, and I've met several of them. But I've never seen one of them yet go to the extreme to say that the deities that he spoke of where the heathen did, is the gods that the people worship, and you heard him say that tonight. Well, now, he was giving you a sample of how to read things. Let's read that in his proposition. His proposition says that the resolve that Jesus is the supreme deity, when he uh, analyzed that, defined his proposition, he said, by scripture, by supreme, I mean he is above all others. Now, does he think that we would deny that he is above a heathen deity? Why, he didn't have that in mind when he wrote that proposition. That's a, uh, he's just come to that trying to get out of a hard place. That wasn't what he was thinking about. When he wrote others, that isn't even good grammar. He is the supreme deity. He wasn't thinking about heathen gods. Of course, he knew nobody that had good sense would deny that. And there isn't any need for him to take that turn here tonight. And when he said that he meant that he's above all other, all other what? He has the adjective there, but he doesn't have the noun. Of course, it is above all other deities. What sort of deities are we talking about? We're talking about the Godhead. We're not talking about heathen gods, and he knows better than that, and everybody here knows better than that. And he didn't have that in mind when he was talking about it, when he wrote it. But he's just come to that. Because he can't, he knows I pointed out the fact that if there is a supreme deity in the Godhead, there must be an inferior deity. He'd never thought of that before this discussion, and he'll never write another proposition like that when he gets away from here. That's the last one he'll ever write. And if he'd like to debate, to debate it again, I invite him to write it again. 
put his name to it and come to Indianapolis and debate the same proposition there. I'll give you my word of honor, I'll assert at least that he won't do that. And he'll never meet anybody else on that proposition because he has found out that the grammatical construction of his proposition makes him admit that there are more than one deity in the Godhead. And as I said, to try to get around that, now he's trying to push the Godhead aside and bring in all the old Greek gods and the gods of Athens and all those heathen gods and put them in there. Now he know he isn't going to put that off on us. No, he didn't, he didn't mean that when he wrote it. And uh, he said last night, or said tonight, that it is evident to even a casual reader that there is but one God. Well, if that's true, why didn't they know it before 1914? They had never taught that before 1914, but they say that in 1914 they had a special revelation from God and that God told them. He made it manifest to them that Jesus is the absolute deity. That's in their mansion. That he is the absolute deity. When did they learn that? Why, they learned it in 1914, they say. But now they claim that it's evident to even a casual reader. Well, they must not have been casual readers before 1914. That's when they learned it. If he denies it, I have the little book over there on the table. Their own manual. And in that it says that that is when God gave them a revelation that Jesus Christ is the absolute deity. They didn't use the word supreme. They knew more about writing than my opponent here does and they used the word absolute. Now, when did they learn it? They learned it according to their manual in 1914. They started this church in 1900, in January 1900. They went on then for 14 years, and God revealed it to them that there was only one in the Godhead. Now, if God did that, why doesn't he reveal it to everybody else? I want to tell you, my friends, beware of the thought of the religious teacher who claims he has a revelation from God. I remember that the Catholic Church is full of such claims as that. And he had much to say about the Catholics last night. He wanted to class me with the Catholics. Well, he's with them on direct revelation. They claim direct revelations of every kind. You know how they claim that over here at Portugal that the Virgin Mary came down and told the girls over there all those fantastic tales. And yet my opponent tonight claims the same thing. They got this by direct revelation. Let me tell you, many of us here haven't forgot about little David's claim to direct revelation. You want to hear some more about him? Tell us a little about little David's direct revelation. Little David on through the lion. I'm talking about the little David. Help him out, he needs it. Help him out. I'm talking about the little David. That's the way they did the worshipers of Diana in Ephesus. Just keep it up, he needs you. Go ahead. Let's have another one. Come on. How about one more time? 
Now that sounds good. Now I'm going to tell you about the little David. We mean the little David that Hustler ran all over the country with. You know Hustler, don't you? Mr. Erskine knows him anyway. Many of these people here know him. The revelation that little David had, I'm not talking about David, King David, I'm talking about the one Huckster run around with him. He didn't know anything about King David. Now clap again. Let's have another. Hey, come on. You know about David, don't you? That little David that, had, that uh, they investigated in Indianapolis. Go to lawyer Dawson in Indianapolis. Ask him about it. He can tell you. There's one of their revelations. They went all over this country with the little David, claiming all kinds of revelations. These people over there in Indianapolis know all about it. Even when it's far away as England, maybe to Ireland, I don't know. With that fantastical false tale, that little David had a revelation from heaven. Where's little David now? Write that down after tonight. You want to know before we get back up again. Where's little David now? You beware of these people who claim revelation. The Mormon church claims a revelation. The church of God claims a revelation. The Seventh-day Adventists are built upon direct revelation. But God doesn't give you any direct revelation. When Jude wrote the letter of Jude, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, it was needful that I write unto you and exhort you that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. He hasn't given them any direct revelation, yet they claim that in 1914, that's the way they found all this out, is that God gave them a, a revelation. And then he claims somebody's on the horn of a dilemma. That thing you're dealing with is a mule. And then he thinks that we're afraid of that. Why no, we can tell him a lot about little David. We can tell him about little David in Florida. And we can tell him about him in Indianapolis. That was a direct reference. How about what? I'm talking about some of your carrying on now. Yeah, some of your revelations. That's what I'm talking about now. I'm talking about your direct revelation. The way you claim you got this. They didn't get it from the Bible. They claim they got it from a direct revelation. And then they ran to the Bible to try to prove their direct revelation. That's the reason they're all mixed up like they are. All right, Deuteronomy 10, 17. God of gods. Now, does that sound like one? He's up here to prove one, and yet he keeps talking about what Toddy is going to say. Well, that said, he's the God of gods, and I can give him one more. In the second chapter of Acts, there Peter said that God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He has made him that. He wasn't that then. God made him that. And we go further. You can't be God to a certain point, he said. And he said that you can't be part God. Whoever said anything about being part God? Or whoever said anything about being God to a certain point? I told him last night that in my father's family there are four boys. We are brothers and we are all toddies. And I don't claim that I'm a part toddy. And none of the rest of them claim that. He can see that. And yet when, he claim, when you say there are three in the Godhead, he wants to throw off on it and try to say that there would just be a part of a God. 
He would just be a third of a God. Oh, that's too silly for words. Nobody that thinks re, uh, will fall for that. Then he comes back to Hebrews 1, 4. And he talks about the person. I'm going to read that to you again. I read it two or three times last night. There Paul said, God who at sundry time and divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken unto you by uh, us by his son. He said, whom he made heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, and being the express image of his person, and upholding all things for the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which the angels said, he at any time thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I'll be to thee a father, and thou shalt be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten set, let all the angels who worship him. But unto the Son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever on him. Now, who was saying all that? Was that the Son? No, it was the Father. God, who had sundered time in divers manners, spoken time past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken by Son, whom he, what does the... What's the antecedent of the pronoun he? Not Jesus, but the Father, God. He has exalted. He has made better than the angels. He has said unto him, thy throne, O God. I want to give my opponent a little lesson in pronouns now. He talks about person. He wants person. Well, we have four groups of pronouns. There we have the personal pronoun. We have the adjective pronoun. We have the relative pronoun. And we have the interrogative pronoun. If we're going to talk about a person, we do not use those relative pronouns. We use person.